Amen. Well, we're going to be closing out of the epistle of 1 John uh, today. And uh, as we look towards the uh, time that we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Jesus Christ, but um, John sort of closes us with reminders and with a little bit of a bang. And, and I remember in school um, taking geometry, they had these things that were called axioms, and axioms were uh, evident truths that if they fell in place, you could predict uh, the outcome of things. So just saying that these results would cause these results would cause these results. And you could conclude something in certainty based upon these axioms. And I'm sort of thinking as I'm reading through this that John is sort of doing that. He's been concerned about uh, what we as Christians can know for certain. And so he's, he's taking us like out of the realm of the world and the world uh, is drawing us all the time. And he says, I want you to know these things for certain about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He began a letter with the, the certainty of the firsthand experiences, the firsthand eyewitness testimonies that he had of, of Jesus and that he wasn't some Gnostic spirit, but that he was real flesh, that he was here amongst us. In chapter 2, he wrote about, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And so he's given us sort of this self-test, and he's really telling the believer, check yourself at the door. Make sure that you know Christ, that you know God, that you're walking in his ways the way that you should, because John was aware back then, as we are today, that there are many that profess Christianity, many that wear the badge, but they don't really know Christ. They're not really living the way that God has called them to live. And so then he writes in, to, in chapter 2 also to the fathers. He says, I write to you fathers, because they know him who has been from the beginning. Again, the certainty. They know him. And he says, I write to you children, because you have known the Father. And so all these are certainties. To know something is important. Just to believe something or to see something and, and believe it because it's, it's just uh, uh, something that you've been told is something different than to know personally. And John is saying you can know for certain these things. In 3.14 he says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. What a challenge that is for the believer to say for certain that we know that we're Christians because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as I've looked, looked through it, there's about 36 instances in uh, the epistle of 1 John where the word know is there. So John says, I want you to know these things. I want you to be certain of these things. I want you to to not just have a head knowledge of these, but these things need to be a part of your life. And now in this final section that we're reading, verses 18 through 21, there's three times, at least in 18, 19, and 20, where he mentions this word know again. Three things that he wants us to know and to be certain about. And so are you certain about the things of God? Because when we're uncertain, we question, we doubt it's like one of those things with, with a, a relationship. When you truly know God, you know that he's there. He doesn't need to be doing things in your life all the time to, to prove that he loves you. You know, in the world today when we see uh, dysfunctional relationships, 
we, we have people that always need to hear affirmation, hear that you're good enough, hear that, they're, that you're loved. And there's nothing wrong with telling somebody that you love them or to encourage those people. But if our self-worth comes from that, we know that there's a dysfunction in it. My wife would never have to speak those words to me, and, and I never doubt those things because I know for certain that she loves me and that I love her. And again, the words are good to hear. They, they make us feel good at times. But God is saying here, you can know for certain, certain things. And you need to know for certain, certain things if you are going to have a relationship with him. And so John throws, uh, in, at the very end, in, in verse 21, a, a little bit of a curve at us about idolatry. He hasn't talked much about idolatry at all through the epistle. He does a little bit in his, his gospel, but he, he talks about that as we close out. And idolatry is just putting anything before God, or it's making a God that fits your agenda. And so uh, the world, we would say, has placed many things before God, but even in the church, even in the conservative biblical churches, we place many times our agenda, our wants, our ways, our thoughts, our things above what God would have. And one of the things that I've just become certain about is in God's timing. And it's just like the, the song we sing. He makes all things beautiful in his time. And so we know the certainty of God that God is at work. Sometimes we claim, oh yeah, God's, God's at work behind the scene, but we never allow him to work it out because we want to do things on our own. So idolatry is making your own God or a substitute for the one true God. So a lot of times, again, I want a God of love because I don't want to be corrected in the things that I'm doing. I want a God of discipline because maybe that's how I've been raised with, the, with an iron rod and a strong hand. You know, I, I want the God of, of vengeance because people have done me wrong. And so we make our own little gods and we forget that God is who God is. And God's character encompasses all these things. And so John says we can know three things. We can know that no one born of God lives in sin. And so he tells us that in 5.18, right? He says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. So does that mean that we never sin? Well, of course not. We have a sin nature in us. We're going to find ourselves sinning in our life. But both in chapter 3 and in our text today is saying that the new birth has an obvious result. The new birth, if you are truly born again, has an obvious result in your life, and that is a righteous life. Now, am I righteous all the time? Of course not. There's times I get wrapped up in the flesh. There's times I get wrapped up in, in, in things, and, and I get off track. We all get that. But not as a pattern of life. The righteous life. Well, what is a righteous life? It means doing that which is right. Why was Jesus so hard on the Pharisees? Because they were one thing when they were with the people. And they were another thing when they were at home or away from them. They had ulterior motives. They projected one thing with their mouth. But they did another thing with their behavior. And so that's why... Even today, we, we don't tend to like Pharisees. And I think sometimes Pharisees might have been very sincere in the things they were trying to do, but they were doing them with the wrong motives. They didn't want to accept Jesus for who he was. They didn't like God and, and his word the way it was, so they had to add layers on to elevate themselves up and to push others down. 
So he tells us that there's going to be a righteous life. There's a, there's a result of being born again. Behold, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And while true believers do fall into sin and will fall into sin and do fall short, they cannot live in it indefinitely. God begins to work in their lives if he's truly alive in them and he's convicting them all the time. I often say that the, the sign of a true believer is what he does with sin in his life. Is he wrestling with it? Because I know a lot of people that call themselves Christians and they're just content being where they are. Far from God doing ungodly things. And you have to say, do you know for certain that you're a child of God and continue that way? Well, what did 1 John say? 1 John said, he who professes to walk in the light and yet walks in the darkness is a liar. And that truth is not in him. The changed nature results in a changed behavior. And unfortunately, as the world does today, we are great at putting on masks. We come in and we put smiles and we do this and greet the brothers and sisters in Christ. But when we're at home, it's a different story. When we're at home, our true character comes out. And the Bible tells us, your sin will seek you out. The Bible tells us that. We try to, to, to keep things away from God and away from others and away from this and away from that, but it doesn't happen because it comes out. God brings to light those things in our life. And if we truly believe in the word of God, if we truly believe what the scriptures say, then there's going to be a change in our life. There's going to be a change, a fundamental change, not only in the things we do, but in our nature, our very nature itself. You know, if a pig falls in a, a mud hole, and I've, I've never raised pigs, but I've watched, I've read a little bit. If a pig falls in a mud hole, he's pretty comfortable there. He sort of likes it, he sort of wallows in it, he rolls around in it, and he's, he's happy in it, right? But if a sheep falls in a mud hole, that sheep wants to get out of that mud hole, it wants to be clean, and that sheep remembers where that mud hole is and says, I don't never want to go by that mud hole again. See, two different natures. The pig's nature is to wallow in the mud. When we look at the world today and we see people that are just continuing in sin and living in sin and doing this in sin and, and, and they have no real conviction to change their life or to change the way that they treat others or to change the things in their life, that's their nature. The Bible talks about the unbeliever's nature. They're content where they are. They think that they're good where they are. They compare themselves to one another and, and find comfort in where they are. But when they become a sheep, God changes that nature. And all of a sudden, the things we used to do, the way that we used to talk, the things that we used to say, we're no longer comfortable with that. And when we find ourselves doing that, it convicts us and the Holy Spirit pricks us in our spirit and, and we know it's wrong. That was one of the things, you know, people talk about when, when you get saved, what's, what's the big change? Or, you know, is it like this to that? And for me, when I, when I got saved, one of the things that I just recognized was some of the things I was watching. The shows that I used to watch sometimes, I never thought were very bad, or I, didn't, I just saw them as things of the world, but all of a sudden, the Lord's Spirit in me began to convict me of it. Well, I still watched them for a while, but I was always wrestling, and I hear them say innuendos or things and it was like oh. and it just kept grating on me until it went off 
You know, the Spirit is alive in us. The changed nature results in changed behavior. If you truly believe what God's Word says, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your actions. And that's why John says you can be certain of these things. You can be certain because you know Jesus. You can be certain because you love the brethren. You can be certain in your speech and your talk because you want to love God with all your heart, soul, and being. And you want to love your neighbor as yourself. You no longer want to be that pig wallowing in the mud. You want to be that sheep that's standing on higher ground. And God has that higher ground for us. So, So it is with the child of God. And while the New Testament does talk about a believer keeping himself, John here is really emphasizing that we make that step, but the power is by Christ in us. It's by the Holy Spirit in our life that we can do these things. And one of the reasons that people fail so much in their life is because they try to do it of their own accord. They try to do it in their own power, their own strength, their own wisdom. But it's only Christ who can keep us from the clutches of Satan. You know, when John says that the evil one does not touch him, he doesn't mean that we're completely isolated from the temptations of Satan or the the trials of this life, because that's not it at all. And Luke talks about that, where uh, the enemy can sift us like wheat, but with God's permission. Paul would say in Corinthians that, that um, when we are tempted, he provides a way out. He says, no temptation has overtaken us, but that which is common to man. And when we are tempted, it says, God has provided a way out. So we know that these things will come into our life, but when we look to God, he's got the escape route. He's got the hatch. Ah, oh, we try to do it ourselves, and when we do it ourselves, we fail time and time again. So it's through Christ, it's through the Holy Spirit where we learn of the certainty that Satan can no longer lay hold of us. That means take us captive to sins for the rest of our life because we've been set free by the blood of Christ. So when we, when we have the temptations that come into our life, when the trials come into our life, when our self, the idolatry of self rears its head up at us, We go to Christ and we go to God and we pray to him and say, Father, give me strength. Father, forgive me for these thoughts. Father, forgive me for the words that I have said. We don't stand there and try to justify ourselves before him because it is he who justifies us before the Father in heaven when we have a relationship with him. John gives us a second certainty. We know that we are of God to contrast of the world. Verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. When you're watching the news, when you're watching TV, if you're listening to something, when you're observing whatever it is out in the world today, we shouldn't be surprised when we see the things that are going on. People get all revved up sometimes in Christians. Oh, can you believe that the, the world is going this way? Well, do you know your Bible? The Bible says the world's going that way. The Bible says it's going to wax worse and worse. But it also says that God is getting stronger and stronger. I was listening to a pastor the other night. I can't really remember who it was. I think it might have been uh, Dr. Briscoe. And he had said that, and it's something that I've been talking about for years, that the stronger that the evil gets in the world, the stronger God's contrast is to that. There's a balance to it. God isn't getting overwhelmed. God isn't getting pushed out. And I've said, you know, the, the one book that the, the world has wanted to get rid of, probably more than anything, or Satan would love to, is the Word of God. 
We've seen in communist countries where they burn the Bibles. They want to get rid of them. But God's word is preserved. God's word is still here. God is the one who is in control, not Satan. And when we see the world that seems like it's spinning out of control, God knows everything that is going on. He is in control. He is allowing the things that are happening in this world today, and I believe to bring others to repentance. I can believe that it's part of his grace and his mercy in our lives to to give those a chance, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance to turn from their evil ways and to repent and to come to him. And so it says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That means Satan has dominion over all these things that are going on. And so he asks us the question, who are you of? It says, we know that we are of God. We're not of this world. That's why it says, we're just passing through. My life is but a vapor. My home is in heaven. I'm just passing through. Do you believe that? He says, we can have that certainty of knowing that. It's a restatement of really... uh, 1 John 2.15 that says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. And then what does he go on to say? If anyone loves the world or the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Does that mean we can't enjoy things in this life? No, we enjoy things in this life. God has given us all creation to enjoy. All heaven and earth declare his glory. I mean, we can look at and things, I'm a nature guy, so I've, I've shared this before. When I'm out in the woods, it's beautiful. I see God's handiwork everywhere. When I watch a sunset, uh, when we were out in Montana looking at some of those, those buttes and those bluffs and the colors as the sunset goes down, it's like I, I, I take a picture and try to send it home to Julie, and it's like, you know, and I, I told Billy that because I'd sent some to Billy, and, and he says, honestly, he said, you know, the, the, some of those pictures are sort of ugly. And I said, but they weren't when I was there. I stood there in amazement. It was just like God had, had just painted that. But we don't worship that. We, don't, we, we, may, we may love what God has done through that, but we don't love the world or the things of the world because the Bible says if we love the world and the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because we've come to this point in, in life where we love things and, and we use people and God has said, you got it all wrong. you got to love people. And you use the things that are around us. Throughout the letter, John draws a very sharp line in the sand, a very sharp line about believers in the world. Today we try to muddle that line. We try to, to get as close to the fence as we can with, without stepping over. It amazes me how many Christians want to be, be as close to the world as they can without being in the world. God says you're, or, uh, John says you're either of God and you separate from yourself of the evils of this world or you are in the world and you are lying in the arms of the evil one. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. They separate themselves out. If you have a fresh well and you dump salt into it, that water is tainted. You cannot have it both ways. John described the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You know, the lust of the flesh, the desires that that drive us, 
Some people say, oh, it could be gluttony. Well, it could be gluttony, but it's anything that desires us, the passions in the flesh, the things that, that in the world we crave in the flesh, and then the lust of the eyes, covetousness, looking at things that you shouldn't, and on. It's not always lusting. It can be just things that we shouldn't be getting ourselves involved in. Sometimes it's just watching others when we shouldn't be watching them and keeping our nose in our own business sometimes. But we have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the worst one within the church, I believe, is the pride. The pride that comes in. That's where Satan gets, I believe, most Christians is the pride. And we see the pride of life. And so he describes the world. John says that's a characteristic of the world. When we let these things into our life, when we let these things into our church, we have let the world come in and influence the church. Because there's a fundamental difference in living for Jesus and living in the world. And so I would ask you, is there a fundamental difference in your life between your priorities in your goals in life and those of your non-believing friends or neighbors? Is there a difference in the things that you see and the way that you see them in your non-Christian neighbors? Are you living for God and His glory and His kingdom? Do you take every thought captive that every thought that I have, I want to glorify God? Every word that I speak, I want to glorify God. It doesn't mean just praising him with all your words. It means that there's no unwholesome thing that comes out of my mouth. No hurtful words. No bitterness and anger and wrath. Because the world is watching. Are you living for God in his glory and kingdom? Or do you just attend church services a little bit more frequently than the rest of the population. Because a lot of people think they're good just because they come to church. The shame of it is, is that there's non-believers that don't come to church that put many believers to shame in the way that they act, in the way that they treat one another. They won't be in glory, they won't be in heaven, but they sure outshine us here on this earth. We need to think about that. He tells us, In verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. It says there's a great difference between knowing about someone and knowing them personally. The evangelical churches today, the fundamental churches today are filled with people that know about God. They've heard the parables, they've read the stories, they know the the sermons that have been preached over and over. They can quote you scriptures and they can give you principles. But many of them probably do not know him personally. So you can know all about someone and still not know them. The Bible tells us it's all about knowing the person himself, knowing Jesus himself. We can get a lot of people sort of uh, on edge when we talk about the Holy Spirit being alive and active in our life. 
because they want to link it with this or that or something else. But the Bible's very clear on that, that when we are born again, the Spirit is in us. It testifies with our spirit. It leads us, it guides us, it, it, it slaps us when we're doing things wrong. It's telling us, hey, get rid of that thought. Get rid of that speech. Get rid of that behavior in your life. Jesus says, I love you enough that I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you someone. It's going to be the Holy Spirit, the comforter in your life. Do you know him personally? Because that's the biggest decision you're going to ever make. And that's why throughout the gospel there are warnings after warnings after warnings. And John's are probably the strongest. But he talks about having a form of godliness. But denying the power thereof. He looks like a Christian, walks like a Christian, talks like a Christian. He's in the church on Sunday morning. But is he really a Christian? John says, you can know. You got to know. You got to settle this question. What's most important in your life? What does your life show others? You know, there was a, a message given by some pastor a long time ago and they were taking testimonies from the audience. And he said, maybe for testimony time, we should call up the children and see what they have to say about the parents. Because in church, we're always, oh yeah, we were blessed this week. Oh, we need prayers for this. and Things are good. Are they? Are they really? There's a great difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing the person themselves. John says, you got to know Jesus. And that's what he says. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. It says we have that understanding. If you're born again, you understand what's important to God and what God is desiring to do in you and through you. That we may know Him, he says. We need to know Him. It doesn't say that we may know about Him. It says that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him. We're grafted in who is true. This is the true God in eternal life. And then John throws this in at the very end. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Is he talking to little children? No. He's talking to the church. He's talking to you and me. He's calling us little children. Keep yourselves from idols, he says. You know, you can go into any Roman Catholic church, you can go into any uh, probably Orthodox, uh, Greek Orthodox church, and you're going to see people bowing down to statues. You can see it on TVs, you can see it in books. They go by, they kiss the feet of statues, they bow to statues, they have little statues in their cars, they wear little statues around their neck, they have all these little idols that are there. Those are things that are in place of God. Those are things that don't belong there. Those are idolatry. Even if it is a representation of Jesus Christ, it's still idolatry. Because the Bible even talks about that. Because idolaters make up their own gods to suit their desires and their preferences. I just want to read a couple things about uh, idolatry, if I could get to the right verses here. Because I just think it's interesting from throughout the Bible. Psalms 115.4 Their idols are of silver and of gold. They're the work of men's hands. 
You know, there is a, a few uh, denominations or a few groups of churches, they don't, they don't even put a cross up. They don't want any type of image there. But Psalms talks about the idols are of silver and gold, the works of men's hands. At, or Isaiah 45.20 says this, Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you who have escaped from the nations. They have no knowledge who carry the wood and carved image. They pray to a God that cannot save. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in these different faiths. They, they believe that they have this little metal that grants them safety on the road. Or this one's going to keep them from sickness. Or this one's going to do this or that. It says, these images cannot save. 1 Corinthians 12, 2, You know that you were Gentiles carried away by these dumb idols, however you were led. Maybe you and I were led by idols in our past life. Not even religious idols, but the idols of success. The idols of other things that this world has to throw at us. Romans 1, 22 and 23, Professing to be wise, they became as fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible of the incorruptible God into, um, into an image made like corruptible man in the birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. That's pagan religion. See, the world makes all sorts of idols, and it's even in the church. What are your idols? An idol is anything that takes the rightful place of God in your life. Our God is a jealous God. He wants to be at the first and forefront of our life at all times, in everything we do and every thought that we have, we fall short of it. But that doesn't negate that. God wants to be there. So where's your career? Where's your pursuit of money in life? Power, possessions, excessive devotion to, to recreational or leisure activities. What about watching hours of frivolous or immoral TV? Or hours spent gaming on your computer or your phone but you don't have time to study God's word you don't have time for God at the root of all these is the idol of self and that's the worst idol of all I've made myself a God I'm in control of my destiny I will make it happen John tells us to guard ourselves from these idols because we have something that is very valuable and the enemy wants to steal with it. Spurgeon says this, that if a man has a box and he doesn't know what's in it, he's, his tendency is not to uh, treat it very well or to, to guard it very well. But if you tell that man that there's a valuable treasure in that box, he's more diligent to guard that all the more. That's what John is telling us. He says, we have a great treasure. And that treasure is Jesus Christ. And so he says, keep yourselves from idols. He's talking to the church, not the world, folks. He's talking to you and me. Keep yourself from idols, and he's calling us little children. He says, guard it so you do not drift into the many forms of, of idolism that is out there that will draw us away from him. Why does he call us little children? It implies that we're vulnerable and that we're weak. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that I'm vulnerable. I don't want to hear that I'm weak. Well, John says we are. He says we that fight in the flesh are vulnerable. 
and we're weak. The Bible says, beware lest you fall. That's what pride does. Not me. I would never. Won't catch me doing that. Be careful lest you fall. John says we're little children. Keep yourself from idols. What idols might you have in your life? What things are going on in your life that don't bring God glory? That don't bring God honor? There's a day we're going to stand before him. There's a day we're going to give an account. Do you know him personally? Let's pray.